It looks like everybody's back from Memorial Day. That's good. We're, we're glad, glad you're here. And um, if I haven't gotten to meet you, my name's Matthew, uh, one of the pastors here. And um, man, just I'm, I'm one of those guys where I love Sundays. Like I enjoy what we get to do on a weekend, week out kind of a deal. Um, and I think that's been a lesson, and we've mentioned it. Like that's been a huge lesson of COVID. Like when we couldn't meet, like I missed it. Like I missed like the gathering. That's not a political statement. It's a spiritual statement. It's a kingdom idea that like there's something special about what we get to do. Um, and so, man, we're glad you're here to take part with that. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be, uh, my belly is really full, and I'm like out of breath. That's weird. Like my, my fitness is, is still really bad, comparatively speaking, for the rest of my life, but it's not this bad. So we're going to say it's adrenaline, and you guys are in for it. But let's slow down. Let's take a breath. That's going to be one of our points today. Um, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. Like, we're going to give, like, practical ideas about what prayer looks like in Scripture, what that's going to be. At the beginning of COVID, we actually did a series called Let Us Pray, and we went through a lot of the same passages in Scripture and text that we're going to go through over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but one of the reasons that we're doing that is just in, in talking with people and in face-to-face conversations with, with people like, you know, if you, if you look at us, like our T-shirts are for sale back there, by the way, 15 bucks all the sizes. If you need an extra large, we're out of those, but if enough people say, hey, I want an extra large, we'll order some more, but every other size is, is plentiful back there. Uh, but like the hourglass is a part of, of, of our DNA, and by that hourglass, like if you look at the top, this is what Jesus has invested in us, and it trickles down, and when it gets down to his fullness and maturity, we flip it over in someone else. And so like discipleship is a picture of God entrusting me with truth and ideas about him, who he is, what he's done in me, and then what we get to do in discipleship perspectives is is actually convey that to someone else, like life on life, face to face, relationship to relationship, conveying truth one person to another. And so in doing that with all the people that I get to do that with, which is a blessing of my job, and it's it's probably the the best part of what I get to do, like one of the most common things that I hear is I don't know how to pray. Like I I don't know how to pray, or um, I'm not very good at praying, or something like that, or I, I just, I need to be better. Like that's an honest confession that I'll hear a lot of people say. There's subtext to that of just like, I need to be better, but what's being said is I just don't pray a whole lot. And so what we want to do over the next several weeks is just from the words of Jesus, like from his mouth, what he taught to his disciples and some other ideas that we're going to pull from other places, like we just want to ask the question, like how, how do we pray? Like we overcomplicate it, I do believe, like, with a lo- like a lot of things within our spiritual conveyance, like we just we make things harder than they necessarily need to be, kind of like the gospel. I mean, we've complicated the mess out of the gospel, but in reality, it's just like, I'm broken by sin. I can't fix myself. Jesus could. He's the only way, so I need to trust in what he did, his goodness, not my own, and trust him to make me right with God and believe that he's the only one that can do it, the gospel, in its simplest form. Prayer is very similar. Like, we think that there needs to be a formula attached or some, you know, some notions that we need to think about, but today, you know, we're going to start with just this idea of when we pray, here's some things that we do, here's some things that we don't do, and they're directly from the, the mouth of Jesus. But a couple of things I do want to point out, and, and Zach's probably going to mention them too, uh, we put together a prayer calendar. It comes out every single month, and this is just to unify us in what, you know, some of the things that we're praying for. We kind of take it from like our mission perspective of making disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And so there's, there's ideas on each of these days, um, you know, just some simple things of like, God, grow our love for you uh, as we study your word individually. 
or help me with my unbelief, increase my faith. There's actually scriptures that are attached to those. Um, if you're going to pray through scriptures, there's a great way, just some resource there for you to do that. And so these are on the back table. They also go out digitally. And every day on social media, each of these is posted every single day on Instagram and Facebook, that kind of thing, our story. So you can kind of, and you can find it in several different ways. One thing that we've determined in, in this church family is there's no universal one-size-fits-all means of communication. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to rebuke you a little bit. You're terrible at communication. And that's okay, because I think it's just our generation right now. You can't return emails or texts or phone calls. Don't repost, but I'm not upset about it. It's okay. You know, uh, if something was posted yesterday, and I see that somebody saw it, and they came and asked me a question about that, that yesterday's post could have told them, you know, I'm not upset. I'm not angry. You know, I'm not an angry little elf like some people tell me that I am. But you know what? I'm, I'm just passionate, okay? I'm, I'm passionate about information. Either way, you can take a paper copy. You can read it digitally. There's ways that we can all be praying for the same thing at the same time uh, every single day. And we also have these in the back. These are just prayer cards because we want to pray for you. Like, if you're battling stuff, if something's going on, um, you can fill this out. You can give contact information. We will reach out and talk to you if it's something bigger uh, than just we want to pray for you daily. If you need that, write it down, and, and leadership will reach out to you and say, hey, how can we help you? We want to pray for you, but what else can we do? Um, here's the thing that you can't put on there, okay? You can't put unspoken, all right? And, and I know that's the, that's the favorite prayer on Facebook. I have an unspoken prayer request today. Could you pray for that unspoken prayer request? Well, that's pretty quick, and it's very nonspecific, and we shouldn't pray like that. That's disobedient. But anyway, I'm not rebuking anybody, but I'm just saying don't do that. Uh, put it down. Write it down. Put it in the box back there. It's the same box that you put giving in. You put these in. You put membership cards, all that kind of stuff. But either way, those are back there. And there's actually even a few books left back there on prayer that you can take. You don't even have to pay for them. You just walk out the door with it. It's like, you know, guilt-free stealing. But it's not stealing because it's a gift. So just take it. Walk out with it. So in light of all of that, my, my witty, witty repartee and also coffee-induced ramblings, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Semi-parallel to this, this text um, can be found in Luke also. Um, and we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. Um, but today we're going to look at, at how Jesus started this. This is during the Sermon on the Mount. If you, if you have a Bible and it's got red letters, like both of the preceding pages covered in red letters, that means that these are the words of Jesus, like he's speaking this. Um, at this point, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, here is the point of that. If you didn't know, he's speaking to a group of incredibly religious people, incredibly religious, mostly Jewish people who have been pursuing God through their means of righteousness, trying to live out their holiness by acts and, and of do's and acts of don'ts. And so he's correcting some of their thoughts and some of their ideas. A lot of these start with, hey, you've heard it said this, but I want to tell you the truth of this. And in this particular place, he's going to tackle like three of the Jewish pieties. And pieties are just a, a simple way to think about the ways in which we think well about God, the way in which we worship God. And the three that he was going to tackle in this particular, particular section, one was almsgiving, or that's giving to needy. Okay, that's not giving to the temple or giving to the work of God, but giving to the needy, like almsgiving. The second was prayer, that he'll, we'll tackle the first part of that text this week, the second part next week. And then the third part was fasting, which was closely related to that. Very much three parallel passages talking about some do's and do nots that were universal in those ideas. Um, but for us today, we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, and just kind of talk about before he even goes into that famous part that we generally go to of the Lord's Prayer or how to actually pray, things that we say, uh, he actually talks about some of the things that he did, uh, the ways that he talked in, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, do this, but I'm telling you, do this. And so he's going to correct some ideas. Before we jump in, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're, we're going to let it roll. So let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for today. 
Um, thank you, God, for giving us the right, the opportunity, and the position of prayer. Um, God, I know it's a, a strange concept, but it's also probably a, a remnant of the way that you created us, to have a desire to, to speak to the Creator, to speak to the Almighty, to worship in that way. God, I pray you would refine our hearts, refine our minds in the way that we think about it, maybe even simplify the way that we think about it today, um, of just what it looks like to pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he's addressing, again, a group of very, very religious people. The people of Israel were defined and characterized by their religion of worshiping the one true God. Now, if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks in which they had turned to God in repentance. Things were good, valleys in which they run from God and forget everything, but they're called to repentance, but they were defined by their monotheism of the one true God, Yahweh. And so he's speaking to them on the hills of, of so many years of just up and down, up and down, and also the fact that they had taken the law and they had added to it and they had blown it up and grown it to such a place that no one could keep it. And so Jesus comes, and, and he's going to fulfill that law in his righteousness, his good deeds, not our own, but he's also going to correct some ideas about the ways to think rightly about the law that God's already laid out. And a lot of these places, what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is that, that Jesus isn't contradicting the law, and Jesus isn't saying that the law is no longer good, but he's actually affirming that these things that we, you have known for hundreds and hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation, are still viable and a means of worship, but we need to think well about them, think correctly about them. As it pertains to prayer, like the people of Israel were a people of prayer. Like if you read the Old Testament, there's so much of it that's just written, like especially the Psalms. It's just, it's just one prayer after another. It is someone beseeching God, crying out to God, lamenting to God. But it's just that conversational idea that, yes, God should be completely out of reach, but because he loves us so much, he's put himself within our grasp, not by my good works, but by his. And so, therefore, we get to talk to him. And so starting in chapter 6, verse 5, he addresses uh, the crowd. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then after that, he actually goes into that Lord's Prayer, which we'll, we'll address next week. But a couple of things that, that we want to point out while we're walking through this and, and looking at Jesus being the teacher, the guide, the rabbi, the corrector in thought and practice. A couple of things. First off, when we go back to verse 5, it says, And when you pray. Like what we need to understand, he's addressing a group of people, and he didn't say, and if you pray. There was an assumption by Jesus on God's part that we should already be a people of prayer. The people of Israel that he was addressing then, the people that were followers loosely or closely, they were already people that prayed, whether they prayed by good means or bad means, whether they prayed from a good heart or a bad heart, they were already people of prayer. It was ingrained into their culture, ingrained into their DNA, ingrained into the way that they were made. They knew that God was approachable through conversation, through prayer, ascribing him worth, speaking to him, which 
is the act of prayer. And he didn't say, and if you pray, but he said, and when you pray. So it was already assumed by Jesus in a good way that you should already be, that we should already be, those of God should be people that pray. We may do it wrongly or from a different place or from a wrong position, but we should be a people of prayer. So it's when, not if. And he says this, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So the first correction that he gives is, is he compares them to the hypocrites. He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, the, the Hippocrates idea comes back from several hundred years previous where these were, these were the names given to actors, people that would wear masks and they would be dramatic actors. And they, Hippocrates was the Greek idea. This was later translated to the idea of hypocrites. For us in English, it was around 1200 AD. But same idea here of just people that profess one thing um, but may not necessarily believe it are people that are portraying an idea and the whole world is their stage. And he says, look, when you pray, you're going to pray, but when you do it, don't do it like these people, the hypocrites. And he's not pointing to actors, which this text has said, like, don't be like the hypocrites you see on stage. He says, no, 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 don't be like the hypocrites that you see in the synagogues and on the street corners. Don't be like the hypocrites that you see in the synagogues, your place of worship, and the street corners. Don't, do it, don't be like the people that are doing it just so other people can hear. Don't do it like the people that you see who are performing their prayers, who are shouting them out using multisyllabic words and very loquacious language and things like that, words just like that. Don't be like those people. Don't do it so that you may be seen. Don't do it so that you may draw attention. Don't do it so that you think that the reason that you pray is so that other people can hear you, see you, take note of this. The hypocrite idea, the reason it's, it's so dangerous is in the beginning it may be a performance so that people can hear and you, you want that recognition, but in, at some point when we do something long enough and practically enough, we start to believe that it's right. For a lot of these people that were praying in the synagogues and praying on the street corners, maybe in the beginning they did it for recognition, but at this point, maybe they thought that's the way that it should be. They should speak loudly, they should speak proudly, they should use big words, the best words, and all of those things for people to hear. At some point, if we act apart long enough, we start to believe that it's actually true. But he said, when you pray, I'm assuming that you will, don't be like them. Don't do it in such a way that it's a performance for someone else to hear. And, and I don't think that's most of our struggle. Like, I don't, I don't think that's most of us. I don't, I don't think that's our, our struggle. I don't think that when we pray, we, we pray with such big language that we're trying to impress people. But very often, we will hear when someone prays in public, not necessarily here, because you guys are great, but we'll hear people shift back to Old English, which is interesting. You know, there was, a, there was an English translation called the King James Bible, and it had some words that we don't use practically a whole lot, but for some reason, we feel like that's our native prayer language, too. And that's, that's pretty interesting to me because I don't talk to my kids in thousands and days and yows and yants and, and things like that. But for some reason, we think that has God's ear. But either way, he said, when you pray, don't pray like them. Don't pray like them. We generally don't like do nots in Scripture, but they're there for a reason. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They're seeking the praise of people, and that's all they're getting. And that's the reason he's saying don't pray like that. Like, there's a reason for all the do-nots that we have in Scripture. They're, they're all based upon an idea. In this place, he's like, don't pray like those people, for they're getting their reward, and all their reward is is they get noticed. That's it. And contrary to that, like, that's not why we pray. 
Like that's not our goal. That's not the reason. That's not the rationale behind why we have conversation with God, why we beseech him for our needs, why we tell him how great he is. We don't do it so other people will notice, take note. That's not the reward that we're after. So he continues on, and he says, but when, verse 6, again, not if, but when you pray, go into your room. Some translations may say go into your closet, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is not contradicting the idea that we shouldn't pray together, out loud with each other. As a matter of fact, we go and we look at Old Testament practices in which Jesus is not contradicting. There are many times that they worshiped for days on end, and all they did was they read scripture and they prayed together. They read scripture and they prayed together. We go to the book of Acts and we see repeatedly the church of God, the bride of Christ that was built at Pentecost, established at Pentecost, which Water did a great job going through last week. Like this bride of Christ, they prayed together, they celebrated together, they, they implored God to move for his glory and their good together. They did that repeatedly. But what Jesus does give here is he gives a litmus test kind of a thing about the why behind what we pray or the why behind who we pray to, the why behind we pray at all. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in public with big words to be seen by others because that is their reward. But instead, if you want to know why you pray, if you want to know how you pray, go into a room by yourself. Go into a room by yourself. Close the door. It's just you and God. And that's how you really pray. This is how we pray. To me, to him, him to me, and that's it. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm not trying to move anyone. I'm not trying to convince anyone. I just get to speak to the Almighty there. You get to speak to the Almighty there. If we have been bound to him through Jesus, the Holy Spirit in us as a dweller, as an indweller, a teacher, an intermediary, like if that is there, we simply can talk to God. Just us. Just him. Just there. Anytime. He says, so when you pray, just get away by yourself. Close the door. No one's listening. Just God. Just God. And I'll, I'll just tell you, that is like a naked experience. But that's not a bad thing. Don't, don't mishear. That's just one of those times in which we can... We can lay ourselves out on the table and furl all of our stuff and just be like, hey, God, this is me. I just want to talk to you. No pretense. Nothing else. Just me. Just God. Just you. Just God. In that moment, our motivation's revealed. In that moment, it becomes apparent who we're praying to, why we're praying, what is coming from the depth of my heart. Because it's not about anyone else. Because they're not there. He said, so don't be like the people who just want to be heard. Be like the people that want to hear. Be like the people that just want that singular time with God. Be those people. Not if, but when. It's so hard for us to, to take down all of the walls, to take off all the masks, to take off all of the presuppositions and just go to God honestly. It's so difficult, and that's exactly why Jesus is telling us to do it. He knew our struggle. 
He knew the fact that we would fear man often more than we fear him. He knew the times in which we would worship the praise of others more than we would worship our time of worshiping him. He knew those things, and that's why he says, look, don't, don't be like those people. You've seen them. You know them. Maybe you are them. Don't be like them. Be like this. Just quiet. Just you. Just God. That's it. Be like that. And if I ask for a show of hands, and I won't, because I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, if I ask you if that's hard, most of us would raise our hands. That's hard. We'll come back to that in a minute. Just want to reread verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This in secret idea is not this idea of a secret that we don't talk about or a secret that's just well kept, but in this moment it's more like the idea of like in this private, relational, intimate moment kind of a thing, just between the two of you. And then he goes into another place of of do not. In verse 7 he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. So at first he said, don't be like the hypocrites who like to pray in public, who like for people to hear them, who like to use the big words and get the notice and all those things. Instead, do this. Go away by yourself, just you and God. And then he says, and don't be like the Gentiles. Or another translation is going to be, don't be like the pagans who worship other gods that aren't real gods. Don't be like them. Because what they would do is they would, they would chant religiously. Or they would just repeat the same thing over and over and over because they believed that their ability to be heard was related to their ability to say something over and over and over, incantations and chants repeatedly. Like if you look at, at, at a ton of world religions that are not based on monotheism or just uh, the theology that there is one God and he is true and real, uh, if you look, a lot of those are going to base their practices on these repeated chants of over and over and over. You do something wrong, you chant this over and over and over. You need this change to happen, you chant this over and over and over. That's nothing new. It's been around for a long time. Jesus said at first, don't be like the hypocrites. Be singular with your focus on God. But in this place, he's like, and don't be like these people who worship in another way, and they think the way they get heard is just repetition. Or maybe using, even in this place, like a lot of words, a lot of words. My daughter, I, I love my daughter to pieces, and my daughter has drama at her heart, at her core. Like she's, she, Liza Red Elrod, she is drama, and she uses all the words. Not so much in prayer. I'm not talking about prayer because she, she prays really, really well. But when she's telling a story, she uses all of them, all the words, everyone. And, and my coaching to her is like, hey, tell me the same story with less words. Same story. We're not writing a novel. I just... I just want to know what the trip across the street was like. And if you talk to her and you know her, it's like talking to an adult. She's 10, but she's 35. And so you can meet her this afternoon and talk to her if you'd like. But the same thing, like God coaches with us too. Like just when we speak to him, we don't have to give him all the background. We don't have to narrate our entire day. He already knows those things. As a matter of fact, if we continue down, it says, Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows the context because he knows you. He knows the the quality of your day because he knows you. He knows what you've experienced before you've even experienced it. All he needs instead of the chance and the repetition and the big words is he just wants to know our faith-contrived ideas of what we need, what we want, what we are conveying when we speak to him. He just, 
needs the bottom line. You say, are you telling me not to tell God everything? No, I'm not telling you not to tell God everything, but I'm telling you to trust that God knows you. He knows where you've come from. He just wants to hear you say, God, I believe in you enough that I am begging you for this. Or God, I believe in you enough and I love you enough to tell you that you are great because of this. God, I believe in you enough. I love you enough that I am telling you my life is yours. He just wants to hear what comes from our heart, what is necessary, what we need. He says, don't heap on all of these empty phrases and extra words that are not necessary. Again, I'm not telling you to take all of your cares and woes to God, and I'm not telling you that you're doing it wrong, but Jesus is looking and he sees a group of people that they say so much to say so little. And he just says, just go to God. It's not about the amount of words or the quality of your words or the repetition. And again, this is not saying don't be persistent with the things that we need because there's, there's several places, there's even a parable about the persistent widow going to God with the same thing, and that's okay. And if you look at my journal, you'll see that I pray for things over and over and over until God gives me an answer or does something in response. But either way, um, like it's not saying that, but it's just make sure that the quality of our words are matching with the intent of our faith. Just make sure, like weigh your words. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The word here is where we get this idea of babble. It's a really odd Greek word that really only appeared one time, but it was just this idea of just don't say nonsense to God. Like Don't bring the babble and the nonsense. Just... Just speak. Just say the words you, you need to say. Don't, don't babble. Go on and on. Empty, without meaning. Length and amount doesn't work. God knows our circumstance, and he just wants to hear our faith-led confessions. Confession of need, confession of hope, confession of joy, confession of all those things. Just those things that we say as a result of, I believe in you, God. I trust in you, God. I know you, God. I want more of you, God. Those, those ideas. And so, like I said, after this, he actually goes on with his disciples to, to teach them of not a, a method for praying, but just kind of a heart behind it, and we'll get into that next week. But in light of these things, what do we do? What do we do? I was trying to think of like super practical ideas and like I would be one of these people like we talked about some of the confessions early of what we hear like I don't know how to pray I'm not good at praying I need to be better and like there, there's always been a part of me like I, I need to be better at the way that I pray like I, I need to be more intentional and I am intentional but I always look at ways that I could be better so I was thinking about the practical ideas that I would need to hear so if they're not good for you I'm sorry but this is what I would need to hear the first is just this just start praying like, if you struggle with praying, like, if you struggle with having a conversational time with God, just, just start. If you believe that He hears you, that He is capable of saving you eternally, He is capable of delivering you from anything that He needs to deliver you from, if you believe those things, then your next rational step is to just start praying. Maybe it starts with, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this, 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 and this. This week I was in a, uh, I read pretty much a psalm a day plus some other parts of scripture and the particular psalm that I was reading started off with this just simple idea of, of 
the question of what my life would have been like without Jesus. Or what my life, in the, in the psalmist idea of what my life would have been like without the Lord. And, and it just, it, it sent me down this rabbit trail of thinking, like, what would my life have looked like if it had not been for Jesus? And it, it put me down this place of, like, thank you, God, that I don't chase X, Y, and Z, but my desire is to chase you. Thank you, God, that I'm not where my sinful nature should have led me to be other than with you. And granted, my life's not perfect, but I know that it could have been much, much worse. Like, thank you, God, that you've led me to this, led me to this, led me to this. Maybe the place that we start praying is just looking back at the ways that our life could have ended or could have turned so badly. But because of Jesus, we can say, thank you. So maybe if you struggle with prayer, maybe the, the first step that you take is just stopping, taking stock and saying, thank you, God, for this, 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 and this. Maybe it's your family, it's your salvation, it's that you're not chasing sin daily it's you're doing other whatever it may be just maybe you start there just start there again jesus wasn't telling his followers to pray he assumed that they already were and we should too and if we're not we just we need to start we need to start and it's not just before exams you know i remember those days in college man i remember oh biology at clemson dr revis wagner did not take attendance and he told us that from the very first lecture. He's like, I don't take attendance. And I was like, awesome. I don't have to be here. And I remember it on multiple occasions showing up and then passing out scantrons at the door. And you're like, oh, dear Lord, I have no idea what's on this, on this exam. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Supernaturally, osmotic deliverance, even if I have to put my head in a bowl of water because osmosis has to have water, you know, just so you know, I remember that. You know, whatever it may be, like praying in that foxhole kind of a moment. He doesn't mean just that, but like a daily response to the goodness of God. Maybe you just need to start praying there, not just in those moments of great, deep, depraved need because you didn't study for an exam. Just start. Maybe even create this, this natural habit of each day before your feet even touch the floor. You just you thank God for the preceding day and the day ahead. Something that simple. The discipline of it all. Create the discipline if it's not there. Because prayer, to be honest, like, yes, there are times when it is just, man, it is just like this spiritual response to things that are going on. But I think more often than not, it is a discipline that we create. Just like studying scripture. Like, you know, there are days in which I'm driving and I just, I do. My mind goes back and I dwell on a particular passage or something that God's planted in my heart. But a majority of the time, the way that I think about scripture is I've set it aside as a discipline of time to sit, to read, to think, to pray, to dwell on the goodness of God. Prayer is the same way. Like, it's not going to happen by accident unless things are bad. But we actually want to create this discipline of prayer in which we choose to pray regularly, often, sacrificially. It takes time out of our day. We set it aside. Maybe we go in the room and we close the door. For me, I put in earbuds with noise cancellation. I'm generally in a coffee shop, and people may look at me like I'm having a seizure, but that, that's I am. I'm in, a, I'm in a closet by myself, but in a coffee shop. But the earbuds are in. My journal's open, and that's where I pray. So create the discipline. The second thing that I think we do in light of this particular text in verses 5 and 6, he says again, I just want to read it, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand, pray in the synagogues, the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Their audience is the people that are looking for us. We need to consider the audience of our prayer. And it's just God. It's just God. And again, 
That's a naked and bare kind of feeling, that we get to talk to the creator, the author, the maker of all things, but we have been afforded that right and privilege as a result of grace and mercy that's been displayed upon us by Jesus. We get to speak to him and be heard by him and even hear back, which is crazy. There's no reason that the creator of the universe should be able to speak to me and I should be able to hear, but I get to do that as a right and as a, as a byproduct of the relationship that's been afforded to me by grace. How dare I not take full advantage of that? How dare I live in such a prideful way that I say, the God of all things wants to speak to me, but I don't want to listen. How ridiculous is that notion? But that's how we go day in and day out when we only pray in response to bad things. Instead, we can stop. We can take time. We can create a discipline. I want to speak to God. I want to hear from God. What a privilege to approach his th throne with boldness because he's told us that we can. Consider our audience. It's him and him alone. And he wants us to speak to him. He says, when you pray. He didn't say if. He didn't say if you feel like it. He assumed that we were. He created that pathway beforehand. Consider our audience. It is to be seen, not to be seen and heard by others, um, but it's just to be heard by God. And there should be a desire in me that I, I want God to hear me. I want God to hear me. And there will be times, to be honest, where it feels like, he doesn't. We read the Psalms, and there are times in which David is saying, like, how long, O oh God, will you be silent? Because God chooses to be silent sometimes. I can't question the reason and the why of what he does, but there are times in which he chooses to be silent. But it should beg me, pull me to be persistent and to even ask God, when will you do this? When will you take care of this? When will you deliver me from this? And that's okay. We create the discipline. We consider our audience. We desire to be heard by God. And, and these things, knowing our audience, this should very well inform the how, the when, the how often, and the what that we pray. If we consider that we're talking to God Almighty, it should inform all of those variables. Because again, the privilege and the opportunity to speak to the one true God and be heard by the one true God and to hear back from the one true God, that should motivate me beyond anything else just to speak, to know that he hears me. Because again, I, I, I do believe like if we stop and we try to rationally think through this idea of prayer, it'll break us. It should. To think that this God with a word who created everything wants to hear from me. That ain't right. <laughs> That's not, that shouldn't be normal. I know a lot of you to think that God wants to hear from you. That's crazy. But he does. The same way in which I as a father want to hear from my kids, God wants to hear from us exponentially more. He wants to hear from you. And I think that's the reason it's beautiful that we get to cling on to God being our father like the father wants to hear from his children. He wants to hear them. Even if you struggle with using all the words, go ahead, use all the words. But just speak because you know that he wants to hear. Consider our audience. Let that inform the how, the when, the how often, and the what we pray. And then the third thing I would say, I'm not contradicting what I just, say, but I, I just said, but I would say when we pray, consider your words. 
consider your words. I remember the, uh, the Jesus was my homeboy phase. I've been around a while. Um, and I fought that. I'm like, nope, that's not true. Jesus is your Savior. He's also your friend, but he's your Savior. And we see Isaiah 6, like God high and lifted up. And Isaiah was so afraid to approach because he was a man of unclean lips and he dwelt in the midst of people of unclean lips and he couldn't say anything until God took care of that. God has taken care of us through Jesus. We now have the right, the opportunity, the privilege to speak to him, but he's still high and lifted up. He's still God. He still sits on the throne and he's not my homeboy. But he does invite me to speak. And so that means I weigh my words. I think before I speak. And that might even mean this. This sounds crazy, but maybe you pray before you pray. I know this is, this is a crazy thought, but maybe before you begin to confess need, confess desire, confess want, maybe you just stop before you think through those things and say, God, tell me what I need and what I want, and then let me seek it by asking you. Tell me what I need and what I want, and then let me seek it by asking you. Like we look at Nehemiah, like we look at the way that Nehemiah prayed, and probably for me, like Old Testament ideas of what prayer looks like, Nehemiah goes to God and he says, God, uh, remember this that you said. Remember these things that you said. And he's not actually asking God to remember the promises, but it's basically his confession of God, I remember what you said, and so therefore what you said is what I'm going to go after. What you said you want, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to go after. I'm going to go after it in two ways. Number one, I'm going to ask you to do it. Number two, I'm going to go after it and do it. Before we pray, very often we need to ask God, God, inform me, inform my heart, inform my brain. What are the things that I really need to beseech you for? What are the things that I really need to ask you for? The intentionality of how we pray, it does matter. Because again, it does reveal why and to whom we pray to. And there will be these times in which, again, prayer just flows. There will be times in just uh, when, when our spirit and God's spirit, they're just kind of, man, they're simpatico and they're there. And, and I've talked about it. Like sometimes I spend a ton of time in my truck. And sometimes when I'm driving, I just find myself just in the midst of this. I've been talking to God for the past three songs and I didn't even know it. And I just find myself, and there's these, these moments of spontaneous prayer, and I love those. And I do feel like that's one way in which the Spirit interacts and intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And he begins to pull me along and tell me and show me the things that I need to pray. But a majority of the time, I feel like prayer actually needs to be a discipline and structured. And so that means that we need to plan to do it. And so uh, we, we, we put away this time. We set it aside. We're intentional. We're persistent. And we're personal. And for me, that means a, a notebook like this has my prayers in it. And that means before I pray those things, before I actually seek God, and a lot of times they're being led by Scripture, because I, I, I do, like the, the days that I sit and I study, it's just like, God, show me those things that I need to hear from you, see from you, do as a result of that, and then I write those out in prayer form. And before I ever speak them to God, like I ask God, show me what you desire, then I write them down, and that's what I pray. And I'm not trying to put my methods on you, but what it does for me is it allows me to meter my words, weigh my words, be intentional with the things that I am seeking from God. And it actually gives me a chance to step back and make sure, like this, is this what God desires? Because if it's not what he wants, then I don't want to ask for it. Because that would be a little bit pointless. And so there are times that we need to apply these structures to the way in which we seek God, and that means we need to be uh, persistent, we need to be personal, and we need to be intentional. 
God doesn't need us to convince him. He needs us to agree with him. And so in order for us to agree with him, we actually need to know what he thinks, what he wants, what he desires. And we actually need him to inform us of that so that we may pursue it. And I know for us when we're thinking about like a, a sovereign God who lays the order of the world out, but then he asks us to pray and seek things like, how does that work? Like, I'll be honest, I don't know. Like, I can't whiteboard that out. But what I can tell you is this, what prayer more often than not does for me is it allows God's will and my will to become the same. It is not me trying to sway God, but it is God in an effort trying to sway me to want what he wants, to desire what he desires, to say things like Nehemiah said, God, I remember when you said this, so I want that. God, I remember when you declared this, I want that. And so prayer is not our means to change God's mind. It's God's way of changing ours to align him, align us with his will so that we believe in something so wholeheartedly that he desires that we ask for it and then we work for it. A faith without works is dead kind of an idea. Be intentional, be personal, be persistent. And I would encourage you this. If you're a person like me whose brain moves at 100 miles an hour, just slow down. Breathe. Don't reactionary pray. Like, just stop and think and weigh the things that we believe that God's asking us to pursue. Seek those. But before we do, we just need to stop. And that's the reason I think writing them down is a great, like, is a great way for me. Maybe it would be a, a great way for you. A couple other things that you can do, actually, other than just writing them down, is maybe if you don't know what to pray, here's one foolproof thing that you can do. Pray scripture. Pray scriptures, like read. There's actually a book on the back table. I think there are five more left back there about how to pray through scripture in the Bible. And if you'd like to know more about that, we'd love to sit and talk through, with you about that. But, but God's words here, they're, they're true. They're unchanging. And there's tons of places, especially like if you look at this prayer calendar, there's, there's ideas there and things there that you can look at and be like, oh, that was true then, still true now. I'm, I'm just going to, hey, God, I want what you said here. I want what you said here. I want you what you said uh, through the psalmist David or, or through Solomon. Like, I, I want those things. I'm, I'm going to pray for those. Just pray through Scripture. Pray through Scripture. Um, and then write them down. Ask God what to pray. Uh, maybe, maybe even, here's a crazy idea, ask others what you can pray for for them. Can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong there. We don't know if that's what God wants for their life, but we know that that's what's yearning from their heart. We, we want to know, especially with family. Like, look, this, this family called Origins, like, seek each other, ask each other, hey, what, what can I pray for for you right now? Put them in your journal, and the next time you sit down to pray, the next time that you have that diligent, disciplined time, pray for them. Pray for the things they need. Think about the people that are around you. You know, God desires that all come to know him and be saved. Like, look, you have lost people around you? Hey, you can never go wrong asking for God to redeem them, reveal himself to them, save them, give them salvation. You can't go wrong there. Ask for God to move in their life. Ask for God to give you opportunity and boldness to speak truth to them, to guide them in their pursuit, hopefully an understanding of who God is, and bring them to a place of salvation. Yeah, pray for them. Pray for the people in our city who, who don't know Jesus, the people whose names you don't even know. We can't go wrong there. Pray for Zach as he's trying to find inroads into the, the places within our zip code and the places that we have uh, hopefully found favor so that people can hear and have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Like, pray for Zach. 
Like, pray for your community group leaders. If you're in a community group leader, you can't go wrong there. Like, we know the things that we need to pray for very often. It's just whether or not we do it. I know prayer can be confusing. It can be a place in which we feel very uncomfortable. But, again, Jesus assumed that we would do it. So maybe we just need to start. Over the next couple of weeks, I know there's no way in one day to answer everything, but over the next couple of weeks, we're going to flesh out some more kind of how-tos, ideas, and it's kind of your invitation. This is like a cliffhanger at the end of Netflix season one, whatever you've been streaming lately. Come back for season two, except you don't have to wait nine months for it or 26 months based on a writer's strike. You can come back next Sunday, and we'd love to, to answer more questions, hopefully. And I would encourage you to do this over the next few weeks um, as we're kind of going through this. Maybe you can even do it on one of these cards. Uh, questions about prayer. If you have questions, how they work, what they are, what do we do, man, write them out, and if we can get to them, we'll get to them. I won't use your name. You know, I won't do that. I'll let you stay anonymous, but you can't put unspoken on here. Again, write out the question, drop it in the box, and we'll do our best to answer those too. Um, but this week, I would encourage you, just think through who we get to talk to, ask him what he wants, and then just start to seek those who we get to talk to, ask him what he wants, and then just let's prayerfully seek those. And let's see what God does with that. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. God, we thank you that because of Jesus, we have access to you. Uh, we have 24-7 access to the creator and the maker of all things. Um, and God, that just shouldn't be. Like from my perspective, where I said, I'm not questioning you, but that just does not make sense. But I thank you so much for the grace and the mercy that is there that allows us that. Father, I pray that as a people, we would be people that pray, that seek you through conversation, that wait for your response through your word, through your people, through your spirit. And God, that you do respond. Um, and God, I pray that we would be a people that pray for the things that you desire for us. So guide us, instruct us, speak to us, uh, reveal to our hearts the things that we need to pursue in you and in your name. And God, I pray, uh, I pray with expectation that you'll answer those prayers that are in your name and in your will. And God, I look forward to you receiving the glory. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. It's uh... Something that seems super...